0: From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas' Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. If you're on Instagram or Pinterest, if you like beautiful spaces and appreciate the design process, you probably know Kate Ahrens, founder and creative director of Wit & Delight. Kate started Witten Delight as a design blog in 2009 when she was working as a graphic designer. Through her early adoption and keen understanding of social media, her platform exploded, attracting 3.3 million unique followers to date. Witten Delight is now a full-fledged lifestyle brand that produces products like limited edition collections for Target, as well as experiences, consulting, and visual content. What Kate has built is super impressive, but I always enjoy our conversations about this new, always-on world we live in. Where does the person end and the brand begin? How do you go from blogger to leader of a growing company? How do you juggle all the opportunities that come your way with preserving time for family and having a little sanity offline? I am delighted to talk about all that and more with Kate. Thanks for being here.
1: It's so great to be
0: here, Allie. Um, I remember—I don't know if I've ever told you this—the first time that I became aware of you, I was working with some, you know, people who are cooler than me, and I was literally on a photo shoot, and one of them came in. It was a stylist, and she came in, and she's like. <gasps> I saw wit and delight. Oh and I'm like, what? <laughs> what does that, mean? What does that and mean? She's like, no, I, I saw her. I saw the girl. I saw Kate out in a store, and I just kind of stalked her for a little while. And I was like, what oh, are you talking so about? And so then she had to pull up the Instagram, and I saw an article about you in yeah. your apartment, and I was, and that was how I came to know wit and
1: delight. Oh, that is so funny in such a weird world. <laughs> right? I mean, it's like the perfect response. I yeah. Most often I don't notice it, but I I did have one experience where I realized it was the perfect time for someone to find me I was in Target and I was raiding the Magnolia section uh-huh. I mean literally I had a cart full of things I was getting ready for a photo shoot and I was like digging under stuff and like piling things in and someone was like hi Kate and I was like this is not all for me I'm <laughs> shopping for someone else but it was like sure. kind of this wonderful moment of me like doing my work out in public and just a mess and sweating and of course you know so it's it's no filters. a weird world it um, is
0: a weird world it
1: really is it, so
0: you started out as a graphic designer yes and just started blogging as a as like a creative
1: expression or you what you know it was it was almost out of necessity i you know I, when i started the blog it, the stock market had crashed mm-hmm. so and i was working for a small company and i was you know 24 and had credit card debt and didn't have a parachute and i thought well I better find a way to make some extra money because I was a warrior, mm-hmm. and I thought, okay, well, there's this this blogging thing seems to be taking off. A lot of the people I followed were designers because I would pull inspiration and work with work with clients on, you know, this interesting is interesting thing is happening. Have you seen this space? and it, it was where I found my inspiration. So I thought, well, maybe I could take a stab at it. I liked writing. I also liked the idea of having, a passion outside of work. I was at that age where I didn't have a boyfriend. I didn't have kids and I just had time. So I thought, OK, let's try it. And and that was the whole point was really to get freelance clients.
0: Really? OK, yeah. so you weren't necessarily thinking you were going to make money on the blog, but you were thinking it was going to yes. be like a living, breathing resume. Yes, kind Yes, of.
1: absolutely. And it was my way of, OK, this is my point of view. And at the time I was designing a lot of uh, liquor products. So I was working with all men and I was going down to Brown Foreman and we were redoing Jack Daniels and Southern Comfort. And I loved the process of building brands or figuring out where they had gone wrong. But I, I wasn't in love with, with the industry I was serving. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, well, maybe I can take, I had just started to feel confident in my ability to do brand strategy. So maybe I could bring this to retailers or boutiques and actually Park, Tao at Park was one of my first clients. And I redid their brand, and I was so excited to, like, help her with her website and that I could, you know, help her walk through exactly what you want people to feel. And, yeah, so it, that's what, how it started. I did a couple invitations. And what happened was I just – I wanted to be an architect before I found graphic design, so I've always been interested in spaces. And we would look at spaces as a way to inform design. Like we would do a a logo and sometimes I would do interiors. Like I did the Good Day Cafe interiors where like I did a mural or or something Mm, like that. mm -hmm. And so it it evolved into physical spaces. So it's always been about design and it just – so As, when you
0: first started the blog, that you were writing about design, yeah, mm-hmm. and taking beautiful pictures yep, and yep, sharing spaces, and, yeah,
1: and what I was interested in, or someone's work that I had found, a lot of artist profiles, a lot of, a lot of interesting people that I thought were doing really cool things, cool artists who had cool apartments, and it was really like, I mean, some of them had like two sentences, and it was just beautiful images. So, how did it did it take off right away? You know, it kind of did in a sense of people came. I think that I was surprised that people came. And How did they find you? Well, I I had been following blogs for so long, I thought, okay. I, I spent a long time thinking about how I was going to look disruptive. So it was before Pinterest, and I decided I'm not going to do a long format. I'm going to do something that looks like a designer would love to come and look at this. So I created a site that had um, columns, basically what Pinterest is now. Mm-hmm. And I like coded it, and it was a disaster. And I got a lot of a lot of critiques from my coworkers who were like, this is not intuitive and Wait, what is this thing? And I thought, it's going to get people's attention. So when that was done, I sent it to all of my favorite blogs and said, what do you think? I've always loved your work. And a couple of the big design blogs got back to me right away and said, this is great. We're going to share it. And at the time, the site was called Afternoon Delight.
0: Oh. Very
1: saucy. Not right. Not on <laughs> brand. And I just couldn't think of anything, and I think it's a really good – it's a good, I think – it's a good way of looking at how I work. Is that I like to try stuff before I really know it's going to work, and then sometimes I fix it mm-hmm. on the way. And I was looking at Google Analytics because I had I had seen that this blog Mint had had published a link to us and said, "If you love design, come check out Kate's blog, Afternoon Delight." And I thought, "Dear God!" I just, I realized how <laughs> glaringly wrong it was, and I thought, "What am I? What am I trying to do by by naming it this?" And it, the whole idea was that. It was your two p.m. little afternoon, sure. you know, after your food coma kind of thing, and I was different like, oh, I'm kind of I. delight, right, exactly, <laughs> but still not what you want for SEO. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought I was trying to be witty, and I thought that's what I that's what I love is that a little bit of humor with just a lot of like loveliness is is, so, is what I thought was interesting.
0: So that's how it became wit and delight. Yes, and
1: I changed it on the spot emailed her, she changed it. And that's how the name came to be. So it really was about other designers supporting what I was doing. And I I made it for other designers, you know, Uh and I was kind of writing to your own community. And I think in a lot of ways, we still do that. I mm-hmm. think it, it, design is always at the center. Whenever I feel like I'm losing my way, I keep going back to design. So Pinterest
0: was a, a big yes, a big boost. Yes,
1: that's I think where it all where it really blew up. Pinterest started
0: when in t- what, what? I think 2000... it was
1: 2012, okay. 2011. I know that I I got an email from someone who was an early an early user, and I think it was the email from Ben, the founder, who literally was like. Can can you get on this platform? Would you would you be interested in sharing this with your readers? And I said, absolutely. This is, I I still have binders that are. It's literally a Pinterest board. So what I did was when I was in high school, I would tear things out of magazines, put it in a label with with you know a, a tab that said, you know. To make someday, mm-hmm. and um,
0: so Pinterest was just the digital version of yes. that. So you got it, yes, and you and, understood and it.
1: We we all as bloggers were creating our own catalogs of where these images were coming from, how to source. It was really hard to blog into find great imagery and to like make sure that you could just access the amount of visual content. I mean if we, I would spend time just scouring the, the web. I think Google Images still wasn't even around. Hmm. So it, when when Ben emailed it was like absolutely and I just dove into it and I couldn't get enough of it. And visual so you were st- very early to very, Pinterest very early.
0: Yeah. And it was the the sharing of I mean it wasn't really even necessarily your own images nope. but just your eye, your curation. Yes, yes. And you developed a really big following
1: yes yeah and i think part of its early adoption and part of it too is you know just being at the right place at the right time and also we we had a a different look at the time it was when everything was very pink and sparkly and bright and i think we're going back in that direction but at the time it was sort of a brush breath of fresh air to have it be a little bit more tomboy and a little bit more minimal and i think those two things combined kind of created that lightning in a bottle which is so hard to do now you
0: surpassed what a million followers on Pinterest. More, I think.
1: Yes, I mean, I think we're at two point six million. Um, and you know that growth stagnates as platforms become you know more uh, more mature. But there, do you still like Pinterest? I love it. You do? Yeah, I love it. I have to make more time, and I'm sure we'll talk about this. the The reason you end up starting something, it only becomes about twenty percent of like what you do mm-hmm. over time. So it's. It's always a place where I start, um, and I, I now have to go out of my way to find things that look different because algorithms keep serving you the same thing, and you're like, "How do you mm. grow if, if the algorithm's going to right. predict what you like?" And, I've
0: seen the white kitchen, yes, and I want to <laughs> see
1: something else. So I, I've have to, I've had to kind of figure out how to hack, how to hack all my systems so I can see new things. Interesting. Do you do you believe though that Pinterest is still, you uh, know? I don't think I think that what they did early on, and this is just my you know my critique of it, is that it it they took away the social aspects of things, and it's competing with Google Images mm-hmm. essentially. Um, and they they took away kind of the the shareability and being rewarded for sharing or or community around commenting. It used to be that we would have thousands of comments under one image of someone's makeup, and we would respond to them and. That's what keeps people excited yeah. about uh, going back. I think it's great for for people who are beginning a project or who are looking to, you know, maybe update their wardrobe or look at look and see what's possible. I think discovery is wonderful, but the social nature of things. Makes it a lot less sticky and and kind of addicting.
0: It's become more of a tool if you need to like categorize some pictures and hang on to them for your project or something. So then along comes Instagram. Yes, and that feels like it was another turning point for you and and a point where you became it became a lot more about you and kind of sharing a lot of yourself.
1: (laughs) I think I, I will say. Reluctantly at first, but I think it's one of the best things that has happened to me, both both in terms of what comes with vulnerability and, and meeting a lot of wonderful people and having the support of your community. I, I, I was an early adopter of Instagram, but I was a, like, a very staunch purist in I didn't believe that you should stage your life. mm mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, I remember having a conversation with, with a friend of mine in 2010. So Instagram had like – no, it was probably like 2011, 2012. And she looked at me and I was taking, I think, a picture in Marvel Bar and it was dark. And I was like, I'm going to post this. And she's like, why? And I was like, because it's Instagram and that's what's happening. And I was just a little like snobbish about it. And she said, you know – you love visuals. You can communicate really quickly if you think about your visual, not in the timing of it or not about not being necessarily authentic, but thinking about what it could bring to people. And she explained it to me in a way that I thought, OK, we can use this for wit and delight. I think if I wouldn't have gotten that, I think I would have not evolved with the times. And mm-hmm. since learning how to pivot from being a blogger to now what we have is called Influencer because of these these platforms where sure. there it takes a lot less time to create content, uh, we have we – have, We've been around longer because we've been able to make that shift. Mm-hmm. And it just required me to, I think, get excited about what I could communicate in one square with a caption. And it's a constant evolution. But
0: you don't post dark, grainy, ugly pictures. I Everything did. is beautiful. Did. If you go
1: back... I'll send It's you still there on oh, yeah. the Witten Delight oh, Instagram. Yeah. If you go all the way back, you will see bathroom selfies of me that are blurry. You'll see a picture of my chip nails and my Converse. You'll see <laughs> me on the back of a bus. You could have pulled those down. Why I, don't you? Because I think it's important. The evolution is so fun, you know, mm-hmm. like to be able to see someone's life unfold. I mean, I think that's going to be it's a very it's going to be a very interesting archaeological like, uh, like looking at what society looked like. Even now if you've been doing it for almost ten years. Right. I I still we just redid our blog and I was I I took off some of the comments not some of the comments, sorry. I took down some of the posts because the site was so heavy and loading so slow. And for me it's like a diary. So mm-hmm. I think too with the, with Instagram, I have thousands and thousands of photos. If someone's gonna go back that far, they'll probably enjoy it hmm. to see. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah, like a really sad egg, you know, that's like dark and yeah. I, I
0: have so many more questions about social media, but I want to get to the point of what has happened and how you have evolved as a business. Um, so you you amassed this huge amount of followers. You're obviously getting some projects like designing a store, things like yeah. that. At what point did it really become – at what point did you quit your day job? Yes. And how did it really become a business? And was there a point at which you sat down and, like, made a business plan and thought, yeah. this is what Wit & Delight is going to be?
1: Yeah. Again – this is uh, – from all the people you talk here, this is a true art person talking about growing a business. I I had been blogging for almost five years before I took the leap. And I was working with Asco Finlison and uh, Bachelor Farmer and doing some of their social media. And I, when I sat down and talked with Eric and Andrew, I said, okay, I, I have this thing. They're like, you know, we're fine with you working on that thing. I'm like, I want to go – I want to dip my toe into having more time. And so they said, "Okay, we're going to like we'll we'll do somewhat of a part time sort of thing. So I was still at that point. We were doing quite well, but I just wasn't I wasn't looking at at my media company as a place to make money because I was such a purist about it. And it wasn't until the opportunities became so apparent to me that I thought if I don't if I don't seize this and throw myself into it, I'm going to regret it. I'm hmm. going to truly regret it.
0: And what kind of opportunities were coming? It at truly you? was
1: the target line. I mean, we had been around for a while, and I had amassed this following. And I just, I think it's a reluctance, and this is probably not having a business plan and also starting something as a personal project. I didn't know if that wanted, I wanted. To my life to look like that. I love designing. I loved working for other people. I am an introverted person who really does not like when someone recognizes me. And I'm, I'm coming around to that. But I thought if there's all this tension and not good tension in going into that industry, maybe I shouldn't. And so I was going to quit. And target approached. And I thought, OK, you
0: were going to quit and delight. delight.
1: Yeah. Really? I was so burnt out. And so just you know, I, I just felt like I wasn't at that point, it was just you. It was just me, and you're and, constantly
0: posting, and you're feeding Pinterest and, and Instagram, it wasn't and you're blogging. Me up. I was bored. Yeah, I was
1: honestly bored, and I and I had gone through a divorce, and I had gone through a point in my life where I had done a lot of introspective work, and there was a light bulb that went off when we were working on the target line, and that was that when you have a rich internal life, and you learn even you approach self care in a way that is about really loving what you have. The rest of the stuff that comes after that is so much more enjoyable when you're caring for yourself and caring for others. And so we began to layer in this idea of really understanding maybe why you care so much about what other people think. Maybe why Mm. you care so much about your social media images. And I posted about my divorce and posted about why my apartment, my first apartment by myself was so healing and it was designing this apartment was a place where i could like cry and make roast chicken and just <laughs> break down and like it mattered where i put art on the wall and it mattered where my couch was and it mattered how this whole thing looked and i fell in love with wit and delight again and it was it was then that i thought okay i have something that i care enough about that i can quit my job and put everything into it because i understand how design matters in a greater in the greater scheme of things, it matters to people how it can help people heal, how it can help people find joy. And after that, then I wrote a business plan, and then I said, "Okay, what am did I going to do with this?" Did you do that this? yourself, I did or did it you myself. get? Okay, yeah, I did it myself. And did I, you
0: Google I, business plans? I mean, <laughs> I
1: yes, I um, I I've I've been reading a lot of books on you know I I had sort of a you know a basic sheet which was you know and I found a great accountant, found a great lawyer who really helped me. Like, okay. I, I, you bootstrap the whole thing yourself with cash. Mm-hmm. So I've become really good at kind of being scrappy and understanding that. But where where does growth look like in terms of what's coming up next, what I'm learning from readers and what opportunities I have available to me that intersect those two things. And so it's been about 90, every 90 days, making sure that we're moving towards sort of a nebulous goal of one, you know, making sure that we're raising more money um, ourselves and into um, making sure that the community, a smaller community, not Not even the the 3.3 million followers, but the people who are like super invested, we're growing it for them because that's that's where we're making the most impact. And I think that's where we're going to be able to grow – in a way that isn't about being in the influencer world anymore, it'll be about crea- creating a lifestyle brand. So, so you've
0: mentioned the word media company. Mm-hmm. Is that how you do you think of yourself primarily? Is Wit and Delight a media company? Or are you a design because you do design? You're making products. You're yep. consulting.
1: Yep. It's what a, are you? That's a very very good question. I would say lifestyle brand probably encompasses the entire thing because underneath that brand, what we've done with media clients, studio clients, and product is that if it doesn't fit within with under the values. Of what and delight, if it isn't about the interesting juxtapos- juxtaposition of beauty and sort of creating great places for humans to evolve, that could be a restaurant, that could be a brand. It's not a client we take on. So everything that we're bringing in is really kind of underneath what our values look like.
0: So generally people are coming to you for, I mean, they, they're they aware of you. They know you've got this big reach. That's obviously got to be yep. appealing to brands. I'm sure that was appealing to Target. Yep.
1: W- what do they want from you? They essentially want our point of view on how to bring their product, service, or experience to life through our lens. I think that is primarily about being storytellers from a really authentic way. They What I'm finding more is that we have such great data on our core customers. They are willing to give us feedback on things, tell us what they think. Uh, We're really good at listening to, I really didn't like that, mostly because I give real feedback on products as well. A lot of times I'll try something and say, I can't really stand behind this. And there's that trust. So they primarily like that you have an authentic story, even if it's a paid media placement or sponsored posts. We've built up this reputation of saying anything that we that comes through us, the values line up with the products that we put out there, the mm-hmm. media that we put out there. So people primarily come to us to have a little bit of wit and delight spin on things. And I think that's where, where we're the strongest is our brand point of view. Um, and, you know, it's uh, digital media and marketing is not my love or my strength. I think the blog itself has always been hold, like hanging on by a thread. And it's the readers that Keep me coming back. Mm -hmm. Um, Products, experiences, uh, books, physical things that live in the in the digital world are where I'm most interested.
0: You obviously have, you've got a fantastic eye for design, but you are incredibly intuitive about social media. Yes. Why? How? What do you think makes you that way?
1: I I think it's a couple things. Having a background in brand building, and I'm not talking about a cohesive look and feel brand. I'm talking about Understanding why people do things, why people buy things, why mm-hmm. they care about products beyond just what it does is – I mean, that I can read between the lines of why people are excited. I consume a lot of media and I look at what people are excited about, why they're mad what is divisive, what isn't, and kind of look for trends in that. And, you know, I I can give you an example, something Mm -hmm. I just talked about with my team. You know, we've been talking about self-care from 2013 when I wrote about the divorce post. And as you see this, at that time, it was, I mean.
0: Was that a huge post for you?
1: Huge. I mean, it got picked up Every. It still is. All Mm -hmm. of our posts during that time about depression and what anxiety looked like, no one was talking about it. And it was understanding that people were tired of faking it. Mm -hmm. And now we're in this place where it's like it's oversaturation of self-care and what I really think is going to be next and stuff that I'm working on and talking about is self-reliance. A little bit of stoicism, pulling yourself up so you can help someone else, putting your life mask on so you can help someone else breathe. And it's not – not it's, it's what you do after therapy. It's what you do after you start – you've you've broken down and you look at your life in a really objective way. There's a choice you can make. It's either to wallow or to really look at ways that you can look at the rest of your life through a new lens. And I think there are a lot of millennials who are feeling very disenchanted for a very good reason. They're strapped with uh, – so much debt they're they're not feeling great in their jobs life is it's it's a hard time and so having that ability to talk about self-reliance after self-care I think is going to give people tools for you know taking back some freedom and it, it will be about less, it'll be about a lot more of their internal lives but that's where I see it going and you get that from looking at the oversaturation of things, looking at where people are really excited and kind of thinking about what's next so it's right. a little bit of like a social like it's all kind of a social experiment totally. and, and that's why I like talking with people and being out there more on Instagram has been really about direct conversations. I talk a lot in DMs with people one-on-one. Really? Mm-hmm. And uh, for that reason.
0: Do they, they don't want to talk to you about design, they want to talk to you more about feelings? We talk and... about
1: design but we talk we talk about like how it's been for living in that space, or like what what is what is a really good example? This is a great example. Someone gave me a great idea for a podcast I'll be doing next. Um, she was watching how my work has evolved since having kids and said, "Have you noticed at all, like I've noticed this in your work. There's a freedom in what you're doing. Do you think it has anything to do with being around your kids? Mm. and and that it's about design and work, but it's also about how you, not look at your life as a mother as as a roadblock, but an opportunity for discovery. Mm-hmm. It's stuff like that, you know, that I think is, you know, it's, it's still about design, it's still about aesthetics, but it's also about, like, your relationship to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that's why I like to focus on the smaller group of people like that because they they inspire me so much more than, you know, a bajillion likes. And sure. I have this, I have this filter where if it's something that I'm really excited about and it doesn't do well online... So usually because we're a little early, or like, and if I'm really jazzed about it, and not to say that everything we do is great, but
0: like little, what, like a color, like, yes, like color. A, okay, yep,
1: color. So when we were we were talking about like okra mustard two years ago, uh-huh. everyone was like, that's so gross. And now, now it's like the color of the year. It. So mm-hmm. you learn to kind of trust your ability to do that, and I think it is about a bit of a, a, bit, of a, a bit of an intuitive person, but also just being curious. Mm-hmm. And that's social media is so cool with that, and that's what gets me excited because sometimes I'm like, oh, this is like stressing me out, and it's a game with algorithms and stuff. And do you do your own uh, social I at do. this point? I do. We you we, run the Wit & Delight Instagram? I do. And I'll tell you a story. We took I. When I after my two kids and I had postpartum depression with both, the second was particularly bad, and I just I had to take something off my plate. And I thought Instagram, this is just a lot for me right now. I don't feel like I have a clear head, and I I outsourced it. And I loved everything that that the girls did, that my two internal inter- internal girls. It looked perfect, but things flatlined, and it was it was because there was there wasn't that like that essence of me there, hmm. and and I think. I don't regret doing it because it was a time where I think I, was, I really needed that break. But it, to me, there are a lot of other things on our site that are, like, I'm not editing. I'm not working with our contributors. I'm not selecting the, the images on the posts. I'm still writing, and I'm still in the editorial meetings. But that, the proof of concept in Witten Delight is that people love discovering other voices and that they're tied together through us approving them and approving the concepts. Witten Delight Instagram is about one-on-one communication. And that test really showed that to me. Mm -hmm. And so I looked for ways to get excited about it. And that really was asking people questions, looking at what trends were happening, looking at just generally where people are, you Mm -hmm. know, being very interested in the body positive movement, really learning a lot about white white privilege by just listening, you know, to really great scholars and and women of color who are helping you know, white women kind of figure out how to like sit and listen, you know, that that to me has been very exciting. I'm on a tangent. But, <laughs> I mean,
0: I think that's kind of how you. So obviously these two adorable little humans started appearing in your photos mm-hmm. and we see your husband and your dog and things like that. But beyond that, did you did your approach to sharing change now that you are married and have a family? Are there any rules? Are there hard lines that your husband has or that you've yes. set as far as you know where you end and the brand
1: begins. You know, the the filter I like to think about is is kind of like a wound, right? So people share lots of like their every moment of every day, and it, it has become kind of a a swing from having everything be perfect to look at how insane my life is right now. If you're at a point, or if I'm at a point where I feel like I have an open wound, or that I'm not being rational, or that I'm upset about. Or the kids are really stressing me out, or it's it's a it's something that I personally have to work through. It's not a shareable moment. It's <laughs> it's something like you don't share your open wounds because you don't have the time to have a very a very um, a safe place to heal. Um, I'll share real life and and what's happening with the kids if it if it relates to the people that I'm talking to, and and so that's the line is that there there's a lot of our life in fact most of our life that is very private because that's protective. But if there's a point where we can, I as a mother can connect with other mothers about where my kids are in development or my kids have very severe eczema. I mean, very, very severe eczema. I've created a whole network of mothers that I talk to during outbreaks. Hmm. The kids are normally fine. Bennett had a huge outbreak when we were in Chicago and it was really scary and they were right there to help me work through it. So I think... I think we'll have a big, a bigger conversation when the kids, the kids have more agency, and I think.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, what happens the day that one of them says, "I'm not gonna pose for your picture. I don't want to be oh, shown." respect
1: what- them completely. I mean, I was on my way here, walking in here, I was listening to. Um, I think it's Megan Gop- Gopnik has a book that's called "The Gardener and the Carpenter," and it's about you either craft this child that you want, or you like learn to like tend to the garden, mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, I, I, we, we have a lot of boundaries for them. And one of our boundaries for them is listening to that. And August sometimes will be like, please put, he'll say, please put down your phone. Mm. And I mean, talk about cutting you right through the heart. Right. <laughs> because they're so honest. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's been a bit, it's been a bit weird to have our nanny at the park and have someone say, oh, it's the Wit and Delight kids. That <laughs> scares me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think I've gained a lot from connecting with other mothers. Um, We've been able to put quite a bit into their, you know, 529 if the kids are involved, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of like a way of looking at it as, you know, not that they're, you know, children's stars, but making sure that we're, um, you know, one, emotionally all connected and where we're at, two, the kids have a choice, and three, that there's not anything that would embarrass them, you know. And and I think that that will start soon with August. I feel like five is going to be—
0: He's four right now. He's, he's three. He's two. So, oh, he's two. Oh, two oh god.
1: Yeah, and I, for for some reason, five, like kindergarten, you know, when they really start, I, I don't want to put anything out there that would that might embarrass him, sure, you know, or like course. or you know, craft it. I don't. I think I have like, I think I got them an email account, but I didn't get them Instagram handles or anything like that. And maybe they'll look back at me and be like, why didn't you do that for us? Or mm-hmm. maybe they'll want that, but. I just I feel like it's their own choice to make.
0: What do you want them to know? And I mean, who knows what platform they'll I be know. on by the time they're in high school or college right. or what we'll all be doing, but what, what do you want to teach them about social media? I mean, it has created a lot of opportunity for yes. you, mm-hmm. but that comes with, you know...
1: Yeah, I was talking to Joe about if there was one thing I want to teach my kids, and this has to do with social media, and that is setting themselves up to be self-reliant enough to manage the ups and downs of being a human in the world and a lot of that has to do with communicating with people and that not everyone's going to like you in fact that's an impossible achievement it's something that i grew up like it was the worst thing in the world if someone didn't like us and i've really learned and found a lot of freedom through being okay with that. And and that's something that I really, I want them to understand that they can set their own boundaries for what happens to them in their lives. And that has everything to do with safety online, has everything to do with respecting themselves and their their bodies and, um, and their privacy. So really just helping them learn boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't talk about parenting a lot on the site uh, beyond my own experiences because I, I don't believe in um, in In preaching, because I'm doing my best, but if there's anything that I have learned about running my own business, it's that uh, there's a lot that comes from just knowing when to say no Hmm. and knowing when to say, like, I really want to be part of this because everyone else is. But, like, that feeling in your gut, like, I remember having that as a teenager, as, 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 like, even a 10-year-old and knowing, okay, I'm going to listen to that, like – And and, and online, there's so much more danger there. Sure. And you still have to listen to that. Well, let's talk
0: about that a little bit, about the business. So first of all, does it bug you today? You mentioned the word influencer Mm -hmm. earlier, and that's become such a buzzword of Mm -hmm. the whole Instagram era. Does it bug you when when, if somebody refers to you as an influencer? You're like a boss. You're a CEO of a company.
1: Yeah, I I go back and forth. Um, I try to have a little bit of space for there are a lot of people who make a living like that who are it is their passion they are so excited about doing it and they do a great job and I don't want to diminish that that way of, of, of making a living I think it requires you to have a good moral compass and really understand that trust is your biggest asset mm-hmm. and I I talk to a lot of influencers and say just remember that and take care of it the thing that gets me a bit bummed out is I think in some ways it has stunted our ability to grow our lifestyle brand as being sort of just pegged as one thing. Um, we, we're doing really great work for Amazon right now where we're, you know, creating these entire sets for for helping people shop their sites better. And that's like, that's where I get to do branding and, and set design and production. And it, it's all the things that I love to do, and we can do so much more than just share a recommendation on a product. And I think that's what bums me out is that we have to really clearly communicate what our capabilities are. And the numbers are just so blinding, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it's like. Audience data, and so what we've looked at for our for our studio site, and we have all of our work for like Nike and um, and Microsoft, and it's all on our site now. Where we really do take our data and align the right brands with what we know about this segment and create great solutions. And and so that's kind of a great way of looking at what we've what we've learned from being an influencer, what we've learned about great, being great storytellers, and taking our ability to create great visual content and leveraging that more i i consulted for fossil for about 18 months um where i was a creative director on set for this like 20 million dollar media spend with kristen bell and austin mahone and your um leslie odom jr and that to me was like that best married the work i did for wit and delight and understanding how to reach the right person with really the creative execution. Hmm. And um, it's not to say that we want to go out and become an agency. It's just offering that opportunity for companies who who do need it, where it's not just about creating, you know, a 30-second commercial spot. Sure. That was part of it, but it was informed by long-term, you know, six months' worth of user-generated content requests and, and a digital, digital-native campaign that then informed the commercial. So it's kind of flipped now where you used to start at the top of this big idea and then trickle down, when you look at your audience, they might, if you if you can sift through the information in the right way, you might have a great nugget that can go all the way up to commercial. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, I think, my biggest, my biggest concern about being called an influencer is that, that's the work I love to do
0: right how many people work for Wit and Delight today
1: so right now it's six people Um, we're still in the contract model and I really hope to not be soon enough Um, and I think what we'll end up doing is having like probably two or three key hires that will be operations um, and production and then um, uh, content creation so creatives and then when we need to scale up we have a team of photographers and writers and uh, contractors that we're able to kind of jump in and help out um, and they're all within the Twin Cities, which has been awesome because when we first started, we were, we're still bigger on the coast than we are here. And um, it's just been nice to like tap into the local community more.
0: You have a physical um, space? Yes we do. that, you, that is uh, it's great for photo shoots. Yes. I've done them there. you hold events. Yeah. How much of the space are you using for your own work? Uh,
1: probably only. I would say 1,000 square feet, so it's about 5,000 square feet of rentable space. And what that space is designed to do is have all of our props, have all, all of our couches, have all the stuff that of people that we work with, and it's photo shoot ready. Mm-hmm. And we tried doing weddings there. We've done a couple, and it just – it. I mean, it's wonderful when you have the right bride come in, but it, it really is about, like, quick community events, great photo shoots, and um, – that's awesome. It's just fun to have a space that I can be more involved in the community in. Yeah. So, so what? How
0: do, how is the work divided at this point in terms of, yeah. I mean, what? where are you spending your time and where is the company spending yes. its time? So
1: I I last year had spent a lot of my time in planning and operations mode and was so burnt out that I couldn't create a right. And I, I took a break in August and I went and I sat in a hotel and I thought, what what am I going to have to do every day in order to, like, have the stamina to be a mother and run this company? And it went back to design. And it went back to making things. And so we've restructured in a way where I am not on any uh, – I'm, I'm CC'd, but I'm not running any projects. I am making the stuff. I'm writing. I'm designing. You're painting. I'm painting. Yes. And actually that's – I saw you last week yes, selling art. I'm like, yes. how do you have time to be doing this? Well, that's – that is – that saved me from – imploding because when i went away i was like i need to have a project that's just for me and so i started this hundred days of creativity and i'm like whenever i get lost i go back to design maybe this will be some be therapeutic so i started sharing it and it's on it's on our um, instagram page it's a highlight it says 100 days of creativity and you see the progression of the process and soon enough people wanted to buy it so i was like i have to find another thing (laughs) <laughs> so I'm I'm learning the guitar and I'm not posting about it. Okay. <laughs> so I'm learning how to play "Blackbird" by the Beatles, but the whole point was to have something outside of work.
0: It's quite a problem to have that you create things and then people want to buy. Uh, I know,
1: them. and I don't want to sound ungrateful, <laughs> but but it is truly when yeah. It's 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 just a little personal thing of of keeping your stamina, and mm-hmm. I'm sure you, mm-hmm. sure you have the same thing. Um. So yeah, the art and now what we're looking at is the art and the the design of being the center of our product development. So. Um, we're creating a home decor line right now, and we have
0: oh, a wit and delight home decor line. Yeah,
1: yeah, which is slow moving, and we're going to start with small pieces. Um, we've listened to about two thousand people responded with what they wanted from us, and it's very exciting. So we're taking in all that information and looking at the right vendors.
0: Do you know where it'll sell? Direct. Right. Okay.
1: Yeah, it'll sell direct, um, and then our stationary line. Um, and right now, our art is all direct, um, but our stationary line, we have some really exciting things coming out. As I was talking about organizing your internal life, taking care of yourself internally. Finally have a couple products that are about their planners and um, project project planners. And they're all designed by my way of like organizing my weeks and months. And mm-hmm. it is a little mix of keeping on track of everything, giving yourself some grace. And it's very anti-bullet journal. It's very like it's okay if you don't get all this done, but not in kind of like a cutesy way. So we have those two things coming out, which is like for me, it's it's the whole impetus of design and beauty and, and self-love wrapped up in, like, just a, a black planner notebook. So sure. that, those are going to be available for pre-order July in the beginning of July.
0: What's the most lucrative part of Wit & Delight?
1: The most lucrative part of Wit & Delight is actually me consulting, <laughs> quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you enjoy that? I love it. I love it so much. So that—it's that, it's me making things, too. You know, it's—our it's shop is doing really, really well. Um, I would say that— Doing sponsored content allows me the freedom to go and create all these other things. So, we've definitely been, you know, I would say that our, our approach to sponsored content is um, we create long term relationships, so not just a one and done. We like to do truly, like, uh, truly, like, uh, true long campaigns. Like, we're doing one with Sleep Number where I've had the bed for a year, and now I'm doing a challenge where I'm like, Show, like showing how I can get better with sleep and like that mm. stuff is really fun because it's about trial if we do like and a, are you
0: helping dream that up when sleep number comes to you
1: I didn't um, but sometimes we are
0: okay yeah sometimes okay. we are what rules do you have about your sponsored posts because I mean that's like sacred space it's really hard your Instagram feed. yeah it's
1: really hard and I've had to make some hard choices recently um, as at times when you are cash based business sometimes you have to like you have to know where that line is but um, if it's something that we would never, ever, ever use or eat, we don't do it, mm-hmm. 100%. Um, I think we had we had one campaign that came through that was going to pay for, like, all of our expenses for a month. And I did some digging, and it was being funded by a, a lobbyist for um, for pesticides. Mm. And I was like, I can't do it. Like, mm-hmm. I just can't. Like, I'm pregnant and I have a child. So we walk away. Wow. Um but that's such a fragile relationship that you have. Sure. You know?
0: Do you lose followers when you post when you do a sponsored post?
1: Not often, actually. I had our I had our people um, our people I had a couple of my data people look at actually how that was working. Yeah. We found that it's when we would lose people was when we would talk about politics, um, when I would uh, say anything divisive about motherhood, mm. um, or. Yeah, those were the two things. And poor, unfortunately, one post of Joe, like, just lost all these people. And I was like, Your honey, poor, my husband. poor husband. <laughs> I just laughed at that because I was like, what happened? He's bringing down the numbers. Yeah, and I would say I mean, we've had, like, one or two large P&G um, corporation companies where people have expressed um, dissatisfaction with it. And I think the, the important thing to remember is um, – You know, all choices are the world is not always black and white, even though the social even though the landscape makes it really seem like that. Um, And we want to make sure that everyone has the opportunity to have their voice be said, even if it's negative. Mm -hmm. Um, So we respond to ones where you feel like we can have a good dialogue and we don't where people are just like allowed to say it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that really does help us, um, you know, balance having to we're a for profit business and. The profits go into building the company, Yeah, um, but I don't necessarily have to justify that. I don't have to go online and say that's what it is, which is a really nice thing because before it used to be like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to put ads on my site. Please don't hate me. And now I think especially women getting into the space where you're able to say I'm going to ask for money and I'm not going to feel bad about it has been a very important growth opportunity for me Hmm. Um, and realizing when I'm being triggered by I'm trying to be successful like should I be too loud or not too loud or not too inconvenient I've I've, it's it's stretched my ability to ask for what we deserve and not feel bad about it Hmm. and sometimes people don't agree with it and that's okay. Okay. So
0: um, You are, I mean, we're living in a time where things are constantly changing and evolving. I mean, that's kind of part of everything that you've built, but it does necessitate constantly thinking about, I mean, you know, what if Instagram right. ended tomorrow? Yep. Well, I mean, I always think about that with so many businesses that are, you know, kind of yeah. built there or dependent on followers and things. Um, do you like the process of constantly reevaluating or changing or is that just exhausting? It's
1: exhausting. It depends on the day. I also, I also love newness and exploring things. Um, Sometimes that's my downfall. Sometimes that's what keeps us going. I I think I worry collectively about people consuming media in general and not being in control of this dopamine hit and having it. I, I worry about what the responsibility is on just profiting off of that type of thing. So I think I worry about it collectively. Um, I have a pretty good rational separation from my self-worth to what's happening online. And I do look at it from a business standpoint. You know, when we take breaks or I'm looking at pivoting, we know there's going to be a dip. We know there's going to be a stagnant aspect, but we're playing the long game. uh, And the long game doesn't include Instagram being around forever. It doesn't include it being the thing forever. Hmm. So it's important to remember that, that, you know, Worst case scenario, A, B, and C could happen. Most likely they won't, but if you have a plan, then you
0: are be yeah. okay. So what is the long game for Wit and Delight? Yeah,
1: the long game is to really build a, a product company, um, get into books, get into public speaking, getting into really taking that consulting aspect of things and growing it out. We've, we have classes on Skillshare. We've taught 30,000 students, and I look at that and I think, okay, I—, I as as introverted as I am, I get really excited about the opportunity to help people in that way. So, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a lot more of me being more front and center in our my point of view. Um, the writing is now coming a lot more naturally. Um, kind of getting into a new era of uh, of amplifying the wit and delight values. So, could wit and delight go on without you? It could. I think. I think what we've seen right now is that the, the team that I have set up right now, it couldn't right now, but it, it could, I think, eventually. Is that important to you? You know, there, there are a lot of things I want to do in my life. And until I, and I've, I've, I love that I'm able to grow and evolve, I think I'm not done with it yet. Uh, we'll see the next five years. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, it'll be fun to watch. Thanks, (laughs) Sally.
1: It's been so wonderful to have your support. I love whenever I run into you. You're like, how are Uh, you? Yeah, "Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, it's
0: fascinating as a, you know, kind of old school journalist to watch how you have, how you've built all of this. It's really impressive. Thank you you for sharing your story and being here today. It's at Wit and Delight if you're one of like the two people in the universe who isn't following right now. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Sally. Next, we're going back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. Stick around. Well, when a business starts out centered around you, the person, how do you move away from that center, especially when you've created a whole brand and universe like Wit and Delight? Let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. Professor Katerina Padit is department chair of the Ethics and Business Law Department. Thanks for being here, Professor Padgett. Thanks for having me. When, where does the person end and the business begin. How do you figure that out? I feel like today because of social media so many things are starting out as one person and then they build this following and suddenly it's
2: a brand. How do you navigate that? Well, it's certainly very difficult because the moment you have to make these tough choices of you know, how much of my authentic self do I really share? It becomes challenging. So for example, you know, Kate was mentioning how with political comments or blog posts, she suddenly saw a drop in following and that that's something that she decided she did not want to do going forward. And yet political perspectives are still part of how a person sees society working and how people interact with each other. So that's certainly a component of everyday life and of the authentic self. And yet Uh, I think many businesses in general shy away from taking that position because it can easily Alienate um, a large group of customers right. or followers. Do, so, are you saying we need to be less afraid of that?
0: Do we need to put it all out there, whether it's a business or an individual?
2: I think you know, in in the way that uh, Kate also described the next uh, iteration, if you will, of her website and blog. I mean, she wrote about it just recently in January of this year. Uh, I think she's moving toward that area of not being quite as afraid. And really, sharing the good and the bad, and she makes a nod to the fact that maybe some people don't like it, and they wanted her to focus on the light stuff, and mm-hmm. and that that's okay, not to necessarily do that. I think that's an interesting
0: thing, especially in this era of likes. We're all so focused on getting those likes and that feedback, and maybe we need to be a little less afraid of not everybody liking us.
2: Exactly, and I think when we when we reflect on what it is that we owe the people who follow us and who try. Us, you know, How is trust built? And part of what trust is, is knowing who the person really is. At least that's how it used to be back in the day when we had friends whom we went to for advice on style and products and those kinds of things. We knew the whole person. And so we made a decision to trust that person and take their advice based on the entirety of who they were, including mm. politics and including some of the things that maybe we didn't agree with. Interesting. And now it's sometimes based on pretty pictures. Uh, exactly. And I think that's OK, because there's an interesting shift going on between, you know, the different spheres of life blurring. So we had back in the day, you know, we went to Consumer Reports to figure out what to buy. And you trusted them because that's their function that they had. And we had friends who we saw their house and we knew the color scheme. And so we like that. And now we have people on social media where these boundaries are starting to blur. And so we need to also recalibrate, you know, what types of things are important to us in our own judgment and how we trust and what the trust is really depending on. Right. And really think about what's behind those images. Exactly. So
0: fascinating. Katerina, thank you so much for sharing your insights. Thank you to our sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. If you haven't already, please subscribe to By All Means wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, tell a friend, too. We'd really appreciate it. I'm Allison Kaplan. On behalf of Twin Cities Business, thanks for listening to By All Means. Teamwork to make By All Means, and we've got some all-stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti, Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Senior Media Relations Manager, Venita Sakar and Associate Dean of the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, Laura Dunham, for all their help. Our theme music is by Songfinch. Hope you enjoyed By All Means.